Shabbat Shalom and greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. So blessed that you're joining us this Sabbath, this Sabbath. Greet one another in the chat. Keep the conversations going. Stay focused on the Torah Parsha. We are in Kedoshim, Holiness, Vaikra, Leviticus chapter 19 this week. And remember, you can always fellowship with one another by going to TorahToTheTribes.com forward slash connect. We've got various platforms where you can congregate six days a week and make those connections in your area, in your region, the world over. And thank you, all of you that do support the ministry. It is absolutely tremendous. The letters, the correspondence, and the generosity. Thank you all so much. We look forward to seeing you thrice yearly at the Moedim. It's the 27th day of the Omer count. We are counting from barley to the wheat harvest, from the animal carnal nature to be refined through to that spiritual nature, and we're over halfway through the count. No better portion than this week's Torah portion for refineness and holiness. We're going to be digging into Leviticus chapter 19. Turn with me as we enter Kedoshim, Kedoshim holiness. Now, Kedoshim holiness means to be self-restraining. And we were just having a conversation here before we went live about in First Thessalonians 4, how we're to steward our own vessels in holiness. You're responsible, I'm responsible for stewarding our own vessels. Even though Torah permits a person to eat kosher food and to have permissible relations, it's still desirable to exercise moderation even in permitted matters, correct? Restrictions. Restrictions in appetites. That's what makes us different than animals. We are able to restrict our appetites. If not, we're a bunch of animals, dogs, heathens, outside the gates that have not stewarded their vessels in Kedushah, holiness. To ensure that Yahuwah's people can accomplish his goal of holiness, he gives us a special set of laws. It's the Torah. Yes, we are to rightly divide it. Yes, we are to be able to see that it's been transferred into the higher order of Malkitzedek, but that doesn't abrogate our responsibility to still glean from the text. Now, I love to read. I love to read the scripture. I love to read books. I have a, quite a vast bookshelf at home, you can imagine. I love to read all kinds of books. Some of my favorite passages that you will recognize. God helps them that helps themselves. Hate the sin, love the sinner. A flatterer is a friend who is your inferior or intends to be so. 
Honesty is the best policy. And whosoever you go, go with all your heart. And before you embark on a journey of revenge, dig two graves. And be holy, for I am holy. Now some of you are like, no, what? That's not in the Bible. Ah, but I said I like to read the scriptures and also lots of other books. Because as you are who are attuned will notice only one of those was scriptures. The rest of it was quite a smorgasbord from God helps them who helps themselves. Benjamin Franklin. Hate the sin, love the sinner. Well, you think that's a Bible verse. No, that was Mahatma Gandhi. A flatterer is a friend who is your inferior or intends to be so. That's certainly not a proverb. You would think maybe it is. But no, that's Aristotle. Honesty is the best policy. That's a psalm. No, it's not. That's Mark Twain. Whoever you go, go with all your heart. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Well, that's Confucius. That's confusing the whole issue. And before you embark on a journey of revenge, dig two graves. That should be a psalm, but it's not again. It's Confucius. But what we find in 1 Peter is the scripture that, of course, is quoted, the only one I quoted, from Leviticus chapter 19, and that is, Be holy, for I am holy. Kedushah. Because the rest of it is all elementary. I will read and turn in your scriptures to Vaikra, Leviticus chapter 19. And Yahweh spoke to Moshe saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be Kedoshim, the Hebrew word there for holy. For I, Yahweh, your Elohim, am Kadosh, holy. You shall fear every man his mother and his father, and you shall guard my Shabbats. So this is the first step in being holy, is what? Beginning to keep Sabbath. And now you understand why so many in the Christian church are worldly and carnal. Because how can you be set apart, holy, if you're not willing to set apart at least one day out of the work week to seek Yahuwah and the things of Yahuwah. Right? Well, it's going to correspond to the rest of your life. It's about making distinctions because it's a Torah, a law of distinctions. And when we can distinguish between what's common and what is holy, what's profane and what is holy, then we start to come out of her, my people, and our mind begins to change. Our body changes, and our whole life changes. It's very interesting that the first commandment is long days of life by honoring your mother and your father, fearing your mother and father, and guarding the Shabbats. This is the first step in what is called in the Brit Hadashah, Shabbat-keeping piety, meaning Yah-fearers, God-fearers. They had Shabbat-keeping piety. You couldn't say you were a God-fearer 
or a yah-fearer if you weren't keeping Sabbath in the context of what the scriptures is written about even in the first century. Of course, we must see this. Now, it goes on to say, I am Yahweh your Elohim, but it doesn't say it once, twice or thrice, but 16 times in this Torah portion. We get the emphasis that who is our Elohim? Yahweh is your Elohim. The governments of this world are not your gods. Well, maybe some people have made them that. But no, Yahweh is your Elohim. Sixteen times right here we are told to now turn from the idols of the world, nor make yourselves molded gods I am Yahweh, your Elohim. Your own idea about God, your own idea about God. And I use that word deliberately and some of you are like, why is he using the word God? Your own ideas, you need to lay them down because that's idolatry. The truth is found within the written word. And we need to align ourselves with that L which is the one true living El, Yahuwah, our Elohim. It's so fabulous, the richness, richness of Yahuwah. We cannot assign our own ideas to Yahuwah. It's his ideas that are assigned to us, not the other way around. And if we assign our own ideas to Yahuwah, we've become idolaters. Verse 5, and if you offer a sacrifice of shalom offerings to Yahweh, you shall offer them of your own free will. Your life is to be put in Yahweh's hands because you willingly gave it. It was free will and that is choice. And love cannot exist without a choice, otherwise it's tyranny and we serve Pharaoh. It shall be eaten the same day before you offer it. And on the next day, if anything remains until the third day, it shall be burned with fire. So anything that is set apart to Yahweh cannot be allowed to spoil your life. You cannot allow your life to be spoiled, plundered and robbed. You cannot spoil it yourself. You've set it apart to Yahweh. Therefore, it has to be refined. It has to be polished. It has to be hewn. It is a vessel of honor. Because if we let it be spoiled, then it becomes tamay, unclean. Verse 7. And if it be eaten at all on the third day, it is an abominable. It shall not be accepted. Therefore, everyone that eats it shall bear his iniquity because he has profaned the Kadosh thing of Yahuwah, and that being shall be cut off from among his people. And when you reap the harvest of your land, verse 9, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, neither shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. What is that talking about? It's talking about, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. If you're going to give, give with dignity. You don't say, excuse me, could all the poor brethren, could you please stand up and raise your hand so we can give you some an offering? Well, where's the dignity in that? You've just embarrassed 
the poor brethren. Give with dignity. Give with dignity. It's not about, hey, well, yeah, because now if you do that, you're just what? You're trying to heap honor on yourselves. And you shall not glean your vineyard, neither shall you either gather grape nor your vineyard, nor shall you leave them, nor for your vineyard, excuse me, you shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger. That's called rachamin. That's mercy. Okay, when we go in, we do not harvest a whole field. You do not pick all the apples off the tree. You leave some. You leave some because you are to give with dignity. I am Yahweh your Elohim. You shall not steal, neither deal falsely, neither lie one to another. Even as a practical joke. You know, children oftentimes will, will oh, it's just, no, it's not a joke. You don't joke about, that's not funny. You do not even steal as a practical joke. And you don't steal somebody's name or character by defaming them, by slandering them. You don't do that. That's stealing their name and their character. Of course, in our modern world, that is all that people are trained up to do in Mystery Babylon. But that's not how we live. And if people do that to us, we ask them to put it in writing. All of your accusations, just put it in writing. Send it to me through the mail, please. Put a stamp on it. And I will honor that presentment and return it to you. Because it doesn't matter what men accuse you of. Yahuwah knows and you know the rest of it is all commerce. People trying to steal your name and steal, but Yahweh knows. Verse 11 and 12. Now we see in the 12th verse, and you shall not swear by my name falsely, neither shall you defile the name of your Elohim. I am Yahweh. Of course, Yahushua expands upon this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 34. The emphasis is not to swear falsely. Even back in England, they had the common sense of, you know what, we're not even going to try and come close to breaking that commandment. And if they were brought before the magistrates, they would say, no, we, we do not swear. And you still don't have to today. Why would you swear to Mystery Babylon? You don't have to swear. You can affirm, but we leave this unto Yahuwah. We do Bible things Bible ways. Don't get caught up in Mystery Babylon. And if ever you're asked to swear, you can always make the choice to affirm. Because I don't want to even come near the fence of transgression. And why would I for Mystery Babylon? So that comes from British common law, and it's even recognized here in the United States today that you have the option to affirm rather than to swear, because we do not want to get even near such dangerous territory. You shall not defraud your neighbor, neither rob him of his wages of him that is hired, shall not abide with you all night until the morning, meaning pay up. What you owe, what you owe. You can profane yourself by the misdeeds you do to others. You can profane yourself by mistreating others. 
This is quite sobering in a passage, isn't it? The responsibilities that we have. And of course, Yahushua spoke in Matthew 20 about workers being paid at evening. And the last was first and the first was last. Meaning many are called but few are chosen. Many are called but few are chosen. Hmm... Hmm. I am pondering and remembering. Yes. I had a situation, and I won't name any names, but I do employ people in my work, in my commercial work, and I had an employee that had been with me for quite some time. And then I had a new employee. And the old employee came to me and said something, and it was regarding wages. And I said to the employee, I said, walk with me. I said, let me tell you a story. There was an owner and he went out looking for tenants of his vineyard. And I gave him the parable about the one that came at nine o'clock in the morning. And we agreed, I made an agreement with you, and we signed an employee contract, and you agreed to work for this much, did you not? And were you happy to work for this much? Yes. Did I force you to take that? No. And did you, was, were you happy? And that was our agreement. Now, just because a laborer came in at four o'clock in the afternoon and I agreed to pay that laborer, do I not have the right as the owner of the vineyard to be able to be good to one and good to another? You wicked and evil servant. Why, why would you do that? And I was telling this to a secular person. I don't know if it ministered or what, but that's the truth of it. If you choose to do good and be generous, and somebody else came in and started laboring and they agreed, did you agree to that? Well, then don't resent because I'm generous and give something to somebody else who came in at four o'clock. Because what does that show? wickedness within the person right and we all have to steward our own vessels in holiness and honor why because the first shall be last and the last shall be first there's a deep parable there but it's all about kedushah holiness stewardship of your vessel verse 14 don't be a gossip don't be a slanderer. Don't whisper. You shall not curse the deaf. If they're not in the room, don't talk about them. And if you do, let it be because you are trying to admonish or talk about a situation. And what I do, and I think everybody in this room, I know that you'll be able to attest to it and so will you, or well, four of you at least, maybe five. No, I think all of you. 
But if I do speak about somebody and they're not in there, do you know what I do? What do I end up doing? I always pray for them. Because I don't want to get caught up in this. Cursing the deaf, getting into gossip, getting into slander. You don't talk about other people when they're not there. Unless, of course, it's their good name. And if you do go through a little bit of tension and that person, then pray for that person. Because then you know you're clean and clear. These are good things to live by. Good things to live by. You shall not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind. But you shall fear your Elohim. I am Yahuwah. Because Yahuwah is the avenger of the weak. So don't selfishly offer advice which isn't intended to benefit the recipient. Think about that. Because you can profane yourself by the misdeeds you do to others. And that is why so many people are miserable. Because they've profaned themselves. They don't have a clear conscience by the misdeeds and misgivings that they have done to others. And it builds up and oftentimes manifests in physical, emotional, or mental disease. Disease. You shall do no unrighteousness, verse 15, in judgment, mishpat. You shall not respect the person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. But in Zadakar, righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. It's called equal weights and measures. You don't give preference to somebody with a gold ring and fine raiment or lower somebody that comes in in tatters. We treat everyone with dignity. Verse 16. You shall not go up and down as a slanderer among your people. Don't retell the accounts or the secrets of others. What somebody spoke to you in private stays private. Confidence, confidentiality is extremely important. Extremely important. You shall not go up and down as a slanderer among your people. Neither shall you stand against the blood of your neighbor. I am Yahuwah. And you shall not hate your brother in your heart. I think Yahushua spoke that and the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. You may rebuke your neighbor and not suffer sin because of him. And you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahuwah. You should love your neighbor as yourself, which is the first commandment of all. And the greatest commandment is you shall love Yahuwah, your Elohim. We know these things are true. This is Kedushah, Kedushah. 
Now, what's fascinating when you get down into that 13th verse, which I spoke about, you shall not defraud your neighbor, neither rob him. The wages of him that is hired shall not abide with you all night until morning. Pay up. Yahushua expands upon this in the Brit Hadashah. It's interesting because in the rabbinic writings, the sages instituted a law that if a man robs either property or life and he becomes remorseful and wants to return the money, it would not be accepted. That's in the rabbinical writings. Let me repeat that. If a man, if a man robs either property or life, but then he goes away and he becomes remorseful and tries to return it, it shall not be accepted. What has that got to do with anything? Well, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 14, you see it played out. And now you understand. I prefer the word inner stand. Now you inner stand. Because the only, the only one that we understand, stand under, is who? Yahuwah Elohim. So if anyone asks you, do you understand? No. I inner stand. I only understand Yahuwah. I only understand Yahushua. Otherwise, I inner stand. There you go. I'm just, you know, words mean things. Be careful of the word magic. It's a cult. And it's trickery. Thirty pieces of silver was Judas paid. And did he then go away, become remorseful, and try to return it? And what did they say? Uh, they couldn't take it, could they? Because, of course, the rabbinic edict that was already in place, Matthew 27, verse 3, it is written, Then he who had betrayed him, seeing that he was condemned, sorrowing, Judas returned the thirty pieces of silver again to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned. He became remorseful betraying innocent blood, and they said, what is that to us? You see to that. And he threw the pieces of silver down in the temple and departed, and he went and he hanged himself. Now, there's two passages in Scripture about his death that seem to conflict one another. He hung himself and then he burst open. Well, which one it is? Well, if you go back to the Tanakh and you, you look at the account of Saul, what would happen, of course, is they would pull the sword, their long, broad sword, and they would stick the hilt into the ground, and then they would hang themselves on the sword. And then his guts would, entrails would burst open. He didn't hang himself from a tree. He hung himself on the sword. That, of course, was something that came from Mesopotamia. And that was something that was in the land. And this is what King Saul did to himself. Drive the hilt into the ground, hung himself on his sword. Now there is no contradiction in Scripture. It's totally harmonious. So if there seems to be an apparent contradiction in Scripture, it's our problem, not Yahuwah's. Then we see, he threw the pieces of silver down in the temple and departed and went and hung himself. And the chief priests took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury. Not lawful where? According to their Rabbinic edicts. 
Very interesting. Very interesting as we proceed down. Now look at the 19th verse of our text. 19 verse 19. You shall guard my statutes or chukim in the Hebrew. You shall not let your cattle mate with a diverse kind. You shall not sow your field with mixed seed. Zerah. 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 DNA. Zerah. Sperma in the Greek. Sperm. DNA. Seed. Literally. Neither shall a garment be mixed of linen and wool come upon you. It's going to bring devastation. Ultimately, we know what's going on in the world today. Who is the one that Yahushua said in the parables, in the parables of the weeds and the tares? Who is the one that goes in and says, sows the tares? Satan. Satan, right now, from 2020 to 2022, has gone into the field of the world, the parable, and while everyone was sleeping, has sown the zira, the DNA tear, into the field of the world. And now there has been what? A defilement because you have sown your field, the world, with two diverse species. And what will bring that about? Destruction. This is a literal prophecy being fulfilled in your day. And you are seeing, you're not even seeing the manifestation of it. Because this is the moment in time, 7,000 years, this prophecy since the Garden of Eden has been in play. And ultimately, this is the moment. This is the moment that Satan planned to sneak into the field while everyone was sleeping and lulled and could actually perform the magic. And the Hebrew word is DNA. Zira. Sperma in the Greek. It's going to affect the DNA. I will not belabor the point anymore. I think you know what I'm saying without me getting banned off the YouTube. It is in Hebrew called the Torot of Kilayim, the laws of mixing. Torot of Kilayim. Now, according to the custom, if a farmer broke the Torot of Kilayim, the field was burned. So, if S.A. Stick with me here, brethren. We're going down the rabbit And some of you love it. And a few of you hate it. But that's okay. Because I've got to preach the truth in season and out of season, whether it's offensive or not. 
And I know you'd just like me to stay with the passage, but I will. But it's very important that you get what's happening here. If a farmer broke the Torah of Kiliaim, the field was burned. If the field is the world, then the world shall be burned. And those that have been sown with that diverse seed, will they be gathered up as tares and set afire? Who has an ear to hear what I'm preaching? The first occurrence of this violation of the Torah of Kiliaim is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. The Torah of first mention, essay tan mixed, mainly truth with a lie. Essay tan mixed, mainly truth. Well, it was mainly wool, just a few threads of linen in there. The lie, the error, you shall surely not die. But he mixed it in with a whole bunch of truth. Your eyes will be opened. You will be like Elohim. And you will know good from evil. Truth, 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 lie. The laws of Kiliaim, the Torah, the laws of mixing, right there. Constantine, same thing. Catholicism and now Protestantism have largely done the same thing. We should not mix Error with Yahuwah's commandments. Science. Science violates the highest law, which is the Torah of Kiliayim, the laws of mixing. So therefore, should you follow the science or should you follow the Torah of Kiliayim? If you are afloat in mystery Babylon, you should follow the science because you're already mixed up. But if you are a believer, you follow the Torah of Kiliayim. It's called Kedoshim, holiness, sanctification. And I am not going to get mixed up in this. See? I am Yahweh is related to the obedience to the commandments which shall safeguard your souls in times of deception and propaganda and lies. Satan sowed the tares with the wheat and he created a forbidden mixture. What has been sowed into the DNA of man has now created a forbidden mixture. It's only, only, only thing now that we must wait for is what? It's redemption? No. It's burning. That's the only remedy available. Once the field has been mixed, the only remedy is its burning and clearing, which of course brings us into the tribulation. I believe we are very close to the gathering in of those tares and the burning of the field, which is the world.
In Matthew chapter 13, verse 24, the parable of the weeds of the tares, the enemy who sowed the tares, of course, is Satan. Sowing anything into the DNA would be an inappropriate, an appropriate interpretation of this passage, in my humble opinion. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we see the laws of Kiliaim spoken about in a midrash. This is what Paul is talking about to the Corinthians. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Right? He's doing a midrash on the laws of Kiliaim. For what fellowship does righteousness have with lawlessness? This would be a violation of the laws of Kiliaim. In the parable of the wheat and the tares, the Torah of Kiliaim is actually the basis foundation, listen, for the last day's events connected with the return of Mashiach, where we shall look up. I know there's a movie out there that says don't look up. Well, if they're telling you not to look up, then you blooming well should look. Whatever they tell you to do, do the opposite, and you're, you're, you're most probably fair better than the rest. Of course, we need to temper that primarily with the word of Yahuwah. But, uh, you know, if they're taking the sheep down into that dip, go the other way. That's my motto. So according to Yehusha, the Torah of Kiliaim, the laws of mixing, that's what that means, Torah of Kiliaim, has just as much to do with the New Testament, Brit Hadashah, as it does the Old Testament, the Tanakh. What's really interesting as we look in this text, and I love to read it, You shall not, you shall guard my chukim, my statutes, verse 19. You shall not let your cattle mate with a diverse kind. Gene splicing, for instance. You shall not sow your field with a mixed zera. You could even look at that at GMOs. It's going to bring about global devastation. But I look at it about what's happened with humanity in the past year and a half. Neither shall a garment mixed of linen and wool come upon you. We need to be free men, not slaves of Satan, which is all about the mixing, the mixing, and the mixing. Bear with me, I need a sip. I hope you're you're tracking with me, we do have a responsibility with our fellow man. But there's a difference between the vertical mitzvot between me and Yahuwah and the horizontal com commitments between me and, me and my fellow man. We must walk in harmony with that. Because if we just say, oh, well, it's just between me and Elohim, me and my God, well, then what have I done? I've cut off half the field. It's perfectly inharmonious when we are vertical and horizontal. That's why the greatest commandment is vertical and horizontal, is it not? That we cannot, cannot sidestep that. 
Because this whole Torah Parsha on set-apartness really is to remind us of our calling. Vayikra, called out ones. And we just had the portion about Yom Kippur. And after the, sober, the soberness of Yom Kippur, you would think that you would really want to be holy. You want to get a book on holiness or read the book on holiness? I mean, think about our life as believers. It's all supposed to be about Kedushah. Kedoshim, set-apartness. Our Hebrew faith is set-apart. We have what? Kadosh days, holy days, set-apart days. We have Kadosh garments, holy garments, right? We have Kadosh Sepharim. We have holy books, do we not? You see how everything's about set-apartness? We have, we have um, Lashon HaKodesh. That means the holy tongue. Are we going to do it again this week? Two weeks in a row? Question. Cat got your tongue? Not laughing again. Hmm. Kadosh people. Holy people, Israel. We have a Kadosh city, a holy city, Jerusalem. We have a Bet HaMikdash, a holy temple. You see how the, the vein of holiness is through everything in our faith. Yahuwah is what? He's communicating, I'm different than everything that is presented to you, that is fiction. Because in truth and reality... I'm an Elohim of distinctions. And if I was taught that on the first day I entered into a church, then I would have been able to see that I was supposed to be distinct from sin and uncleanliness. But I was never taught that. I was just taught that the blood of Jesus washed it all. And there was truth in there, the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. But it was sown in amongst of bunch of corporate Western church propaganda. And therefore, I stumbled in my sin for so many years because I didn't understand Kedushah. I'm thankful for the Torah because Yahuwah is an Elohim of distinction. And that is why I raised my children in the Torah. And that is what Kadosh Holiness is all about. The bride of Yahuwah is to set herself apart for Yahuwah in expectation of the future, which is the book of Revelation. We're to prepare ourselves. We're to set ourselves apart from the least in the kingdom. We do not want to be the least in the kingdom. We want to have the recognition of Kadosh Kedoshah, set-apartness. How that is styled in the Hebrew is with a kof, dalet, vav, shin, kadosh. Now the root word, you'll look at the Hebrew Strong's number 6918, but the root word is kadash, which is the Hebrew's word 6942. Kadash, it differs in its spelling or styling. Kuf, dalet, shin means to be set apart. And then there's Kodesh, to be set apart. 
Kedoshim, the set-apart ones, the saints. So really, if you break it down in the language, you can see the word picture, if you've got the kuf, which means to touch, the dalet, which means the door, the shin, representing El Shaddai, the set, of, the set apart ones, we are to set ourselves apart so that we can touch the door of El Shaddai. And who is the door? Right? That's the message right there. Mashiach, he is the open door. He stands at the door. Revelation 3, I am the door. John 3, it's all about holiness, sanctification. Those that have the testimony of Yahusha and keep my commandments. It's all right there. When you make a choice, you are to make a set-apart choice, a distinction. You have to live in a Kadosh state. You have to be consecrated and connected. That's the vav, the nail, the hook that connects you. You become personally connected and betrothed to Yahweh because we anticipate future judgment and we want to be set apart from the judgment and the fire. It's all right there, isn't it? So part of even even part of the traditional Hebrew um, wedding ritual is called kedushim. Right? The setting apart of the bride. And, and during the wedding service, they would also lay tefillin, the binding of the tefillin. They would lay tefillin. And they would even, those that lay tefillin, and I used to do this every morning. I would lay tefillin and I would recite that portion of scripture that was for the laying of tefillin, which is Hosea chapter 2, verse 19. I will take you to me, Leolam Vayed. That is traditionally read as Kedushah, the binding of tefillin, was read as a marriage contract and a binding of holiness. Like last week, we spoke about binding yourself to the altar. Because Hosea chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, which is read when the binding of the tefillin, the phylacteries, is the preparation of the bride. We are to prepare as the bride because we want to enter into the house, the temple, the land. The consequences of sloppy religious behavior is what? Being burned up, ending up least in the kingdom, or maybe, maybe a wedding guest without entrance into the bridal chamber. I want to enter into the bridal chamber, which means I have to be in Kedushah. Now, Rashi, one of the Jewish darling sages, said, like an allegory of a prince who was fed disgusting food, since he cannot digest it, he vomits it out. Similarly, the land of Israel cannot maintain sinners. Our existence in the land of Israel is dependent upon our following the Torah, observing the commandments, and being kadosh. Otherwise, the land will vomit you out. And what does Yahushua say? He says, that if you're not Kadosh, if you are lukewarm, that he will vomit you out. So 
many of these teachings have been around for thousands of years and Yahushua knew about them. He was the king of the Jews and there were Pharisees and rabbis all around him. And he expanded upon those cultural narratives and brings us forth. Now, think about this. If Yahushua is the great physician of which he is and claimed and like a physician who wants to make an impression on his patient, he will warn that patient exactly how to behave. Because if he doesn't do so, he may die and so and so and such forth could happen and therefore follow these guidelines if you want to live. You've been warned. Follow the rules. If you don't, then this could happen to you. If you love me... Keep my commandments. If you're lukewarm regarding Kedushah, you will be spewed out. And as believers, we can only achieve set-apartness as part of the body of Israel. We have to help one another. We have to encourage one another. That's why we keep the Shabbats and the feasts. Otherwise, we become isolated and cut off. And the temptations of the world are always pulling at us, are they not? Community, service of Yahweh together, prayer, worship, song and dance, Torah study, keeping the Moedim, keeping the commandments. The idea that we can be lone rangers in these last days would cause us to stumble. We need to be in our roots of holiness and faith. We need to walk together. We need to have a strong presence in the community together. We need to make connections with the next generation and the next generation of children and root them in holiness. If two sit together and interchange no words of Torah, no words of scripture, then that meeting was a meeting of scorners. How many times have we sat down and broken bread, but not spoken of the things of Yahuwah? I say that we make changes of those things. When we sit down and break bread together, let's talk of the things of Yahuwah. Otherwise, we could be falling into that area of commonness and being in the congregation of scorners. An empty-headed man cannot be a sin-fearing man. I want to be a sin-fearing man. A person who is ignorant of Torah, how can they be pious? And one who is so overcome in business, how can he grow and become wise in Torah? Because you're overcome with the commercial world. We have to help one another attain great heights. There's so much to think about, is there not? I'll conclude with this thought. It is written by the ancient sages, I think this was Rambam back in the day, the one who follows the letter of the Torah, but not the Ruach of the Torah, would be called a Naval Bereshut HaTorah, a disgusting person within Torah. You see, 
holiness, even for that rabbinic sage, realized that it was dependent upon being holy in that which is permissible. This is quoted in Peter. Holiness cannot be legislated. The Torah leaves it to you and me to make that decision. It has to be a free will offering. That being said, a believer can only attain holiness as part of the body of Mashiach. We serve Mashiach together through a supernatural ministry that seeks to heal the rest of the body because we've all been defiled. So then when somebody new comes into the body, we need to wash them with the word and then we need to bring them to the Sabbath and the feasts because those are the Kedushim, the holy days, the holy times and the holy festivals of Yahuwah. The idea that we can separate ourselves from the community or the supernatural and achieve holiness, that's a dangerous illusion. And that is the illusion of syncretism. That is the illusion which violates the laws of Kilayim. And unfortunately, brethren, that is the illusion that has been propagated by Constantine, and it has been propagated by Martin Luther, and it has been carried on now into our modern-day churches, that you can mix it all up and you're okay. You're not okay unless you are set apart. There's much to look at in Vaikra, Leviticus chapter 19. And if you have some chat and you have a comment or thoughts on this week's Torah portion, or would just like to put a comment up that is edifying or a prayer or a scripture, then please do that while I refresh the chat here and see what you have been up to. Shabbat Shalom to you all, hundreds of you, hundreds of you, soon to be thousands. Praise Yahuwah for the growth of this ministry over the past several years has been absolutely incredible in spite of me. That's the true miracle. I would like to say Shabbat Shalom to my dear brother, Larry. We miss you, brother, down there in Texas, in the last stronghold. And if you're in Texas, then look up my brother, Larry, who is uh, living down there. We miss you, brother, and um, I pray Yahuwah's blessings upon you. You are often in my prayers and thoughts. Ah, let's see. Emissary of Elohim, Shabbat Shalom to you. Zephi's homestead, Shabbat Shalom to you. Truth is, is like Velcro, Shabbat Shalom to you. And of course, Chris De La Rosa, so faithful. I think he's always the first and the last on the chat. Not the first and the last, but the first and the last on the chat. Shabbat Shalom to you. Up there, the king, the king of Dufa. He is here with us, and we're blessed to have you, the Lord of Dufa, I should say. The Lord of Dufa himself has joined us. We're glad that he could tear himself away from the land of Dufa, the Lord of Dufa. 
And most of you haven't a clue what I'm saying. Shabbat Shalom, the Libby Tube, Israel born from above in Yahusha Hamashiach. Ah, blessings, blessings. Let's see. D. Boys, Shabbat Shalom, asks a question. Does kindling a fire on Shabbat mean I am burning a fire inside of me or have a fire outside? I think it's really about being prepared, preparing for the Shabbat ahead of time so that you can rest and enjoy Yahuwah. And also, we see that taking that time of Kedushah, sanctification for the Sabbath, restores our soul. It waters the garden, does it not? Mm-hmm. Now remember, um, we do have Shavuot coming up here in, what, 24 days, um, 23 days. We will be congregating here in Oregon, so check out the website, torahtothetribes.com forward slash connect. And also there'll be other locations around the world, so you can check on that same drill down on the Connect page and find a local local meeting of the Moedim near you. Or you can go, of course, to Shabbat Fellowship or reach out to Shabbat Fellowship and find your brothers and sisters in the dispersion. Ah, as a bliss asks, what version of the Bible do you use? I like the Restoration True Name Edition, second edition, or a third edition. All of the editions are pretty good. Um, I also like the scriptures from South Africa. Um, I like the Brenton Septuagint. And I like the Net Bible for the Aramaic. And that has all of the um, footnotes on it, which are really good. I think that's the best Aramaic Bible, the Net or N-E-T um, Bible. Um, and then, you know, I've got my good old standard King Jimmy. I got the um, long primer King James version for um, all of the births, deaths, marriages, legal documents in that. And then I've got the new King James for just my bedtime reading. So, yes, we have, uh, we have stacks of Bibles at our home and um, lots of different inter. Um, translations. Malkid Zedek wife, Shabbat Shalom. I need help getting socialized as a breast implant illness rendered me with isolation, but I know I can trust you in. All right, I think I might have missed the first half of that conversation, but uh, socialized. Well, we pray that you would connect with other sisters and get the support that you need. Thank you, Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. Just That one just popped right out at me. And I might have jumped in halfway through that conversation. Well, thank you, Truth Like Velcro, saying I'm weaving the spiritual with the physical quite beautifully. I pray so. I pray so. Ah. Ah, this is a very interesting question from Eliezer. Should I break one command to keep the gathering together with a fellowship preaching resurrection has already passed. Yes, I, I, would, I would not associate with um, 
doctrines of demons, saying the resurrection has already passed. Mm. Maybe you've got more information for us on that. Azar Yahu ben Eliyahu. That's a full name, and I like it. Baruch Hashem Yahuwah, Teresa Smith. Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. My Potato Munchkin. Not mixing wool and linens, please, please advise. Also, are we supposed to have a, a set of garments set aside for the wedding? Well, you know, I do have a nice pressed white linen garment in my closet that I always have ready um, for the Moedim. And um, I don't have garments that are linen and wool. But I do have garments that are, well, I don't because I'm not really a big fan of polyester. But let's just say, you know, polyester and cotton. There was one point that I thought, oh, I can't have anything mixed. But, you know, just literally linen and wool. Linen and wool. Flax, right? Linen. Wool. Yeah. Shalom Yahuwah Amber Rickson. My son Jericho says Shabbat Shalom to you all. That is a fabulous name for a son. I like that. I haven't heard that before. Is that your son's real name? Jericho, if it is. That's awesome. That's a great name. Is there an exception to Shabbat? What if we haven't a choice? Micro Dot Helmet Co. The wonderful thing in life, we always have a choice. Everything's a choice. If you believe you have no choice, then you've been tricked. And I use these words deliberately because that would be occult magic. And that is Mystery Babylon to convince you that you have no choice, to compel you to perform in Satan's world of commerce. But don't get me too trippy. Purpose to be unique, my son. 10 was Du Bois asking about Shabbat and kindling a fire. He really wants to know if he can have a fire in the fire pit at night on Shabbat. Well, I would prep it. I mean, just to be safe, I would prep it, gather in all the sticks, gather in all the kindling, and prep it before the Shabbat and get it going. But if not, if you wanted to be safe... You could always light a candle before Shabbat, keep the candle burning, and then transfer the fire from the candle to the prepped kindling. Depends on your orthodoxy, right? I've, I've vacillated along the whole line over the years. I remember firstly, many, many years ago, um, before I had children, we had some guests stay over our house on Shabbat, and um, it was winter time, and we were we live in a log cabin out in the middle of nowhere, and um, our only heat source was a wood stove, 
and we didn't want to kindle the fire, so we were there sitting in the dark on Shabbat, in the cold, in the dark, eating cold cuts. And my friend, who was, you know, back, back then, that was 20-odd years ago, was like in his 70s, and had been keeping Torah for a long time, was like, wow, <laughs> Shabbat is a joy, huh? And I just looked at myself, cold, in the dark, eating cold cuts. And I'm like, yeah, this seems like a bit of a burden. So then we went to the Shabbat, the, the, the Jewish hot plates, okay, where you put the big hot plates out and you put your stuff on there and, it, and everything gets nuked, right? Gets burnt to a crisp. So now we have a Shabbat refrigerator and a Shabbat stove. I don't know if we know quite how to work the settings, but you have to wrestle all this stuff out. That's what I'm saying. Sometimes you just got to wrestle this stuff out. Yes, anyway. Rambling, rambling, rambling. Shabbat shalom, diesel grandpa, you spanner. Our choice should always be Yahusha and his commandments. Amen. How are you up there? Haven't heard from you in a while. Don't go swimming in your white linen. Oh, very good idea. Very good idea. Yeah, that, that, that would be a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Baruch Hashem, yeah. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. Put it up there in the text for us, giant killer. Oh, you got the verse, but give us, give us, give us the, give us the writing. Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. Oh. Ah, Shalom Yahuwah Amber Rickson. Yes, it's his real name. You made him very happy just now. Well, I'd love to meet you, Jericho. Awesome. Stand strong and be a witness for the kingdom with a name like that. If they come against you, just blow the shofar and knock their walls down, right? You stand as a brick wall unto Yahuwah. Ah, you reverse it. I love it. Ah. All right. Well, brethren, it looks like we are coming to the end. Ah, oh, here's a good one. Ray Fenwick. Vaikra 1927, shaving ritual, relate to men shaving their, fair ha their face hair today, society, thoughts, opinions. Well, you know, I used to have a big, long, furry, furry, furry beard, furry beard back in the day. What did I do with, uh, yeah, I may have a, uh, an idea for you on that. Let me see. a couple of thoughts on that the whole purpose of the um, the shaving ritual was pagan worship because the um, the pagans would shave oftentimes you know I would look like you, you know if you went down a tattoo shop right not that you should because that would be against the commandments right there in Leviticus 19 too but you go down to a tattoo shop extremely Babylonian and what are you gonna find in there you're gonna find all kinds of diverse facial hair designs okay where you would get the um, shaving off the corner of the sides of your beard okay this might offend some goatees for example now, in our modern day, is that are you, when you have a goatee, where does that come from? Is it Babylonian? Yes, it is Babylonian. It's Egyptian. It's pagan. But are you a pagan because you have a goatee? No, I'm not saying that. But that's where it came from. 
that design of facial hair because in the Hebrew culture, you either were bearded or you were clean shaven. And yes, they were permitted to shave. It was part of Kedushah, sanctification. There would be the shaving, the cleansing of the leper, etc., etc. But also we can see in Scripture that the beard... In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 20, shaving was used as a humiliating judgment. Yahweh will shave you with a hired razor. Those from beyond the river with the king of Assyria, the head and the hair and the legs, and will also remove the beard. So back in the day, yes, it was a sign of judgment as well. Now, um, it is written in Isaiah 50, verse 6, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheek to those who plucked out my beard. So again, you see that kind of judgment. So really, we are to judge ourselves and not to look like the Babylonians and the pagans. But the whole purpose of the beard is not to do it as a sign of pagan worship or mourning for the dead. But then to try and now say, well, okay, you can't have, you can't shave. I think what you're doing is you're adding into the text because really if you strictly look at the text, it was doing it as a mourning or as a form of worship because that's what they were doing and Yahweh was telling us not to participate in that type of thing. So there you have it. And Baruch Hashem Yahweh. Hate every false way does say Samson lost all his power when his hair was cut off. So therefore, um, there, there you go right there. Baruch Hashem Yahweh. Emissary Elohim has, has, a, has a rhyme for us. More beards in the hate neighborhood. No beard, no good. You say you can't, I say you could. No beard, no good. More beardo weirdos. <laughs> I think that's a great way to end. Thank you, Emissary of Elohim, Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. But now you guys are going on the beard thing. So there you go. Put it in the comment section about beards. Okay? I think that's a great conversation. Have that conversation. Yahuwah's blessings. Do I have? Yeah, I've got some scruff going on here. Yes, yes. All right. Baruch Hashem. Yahweh bless you and keep you. Yahweh's face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Yahweh lift up his countenance upon you and grant you shalom. Yevarechacha Yahweh vayishmerecha. Yeyer Yahweh panavelecha vechonecha. Yisa Yahweh panavelecha vayasim lecha lecha shalom. Shabbat Shalom.